Case number 221015, Patricia McIntosh versus Ron Clark. Argument not to exceed 15 minutes per side. Ms. Lipansky, you may proceed. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court. Marcy Stepanski on behalf of the defendant about Mr. Clubs. I'd like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal, please. Um, as the Court knows, this case arose from a Board of Commissioners meeting that was conducted remotely. Um, we have provided copies of the video of the meeting and they're accessible online as well. The subject matter of this meeting in large part had to do with um, a resolution that was passed the year prior having to do with a Second Amendment gun sanctuary des designation passed by the County Board of Commissioners. Um, at this particular meeting a year later after the January 6th uh, insurrection, there were members of the public who appeared and uh, expressed their disapproval of that prior um, Second Amendment resolution. Um, plaintiff, when she began to speak about um, her objections, she had a number of things that she said, but part of it was um, objecting to the resolution itself, um, talking about um, her perception that the, res that the resolution um, somehow emboldened the Proud Boys, how it changed the, um, the gun culture or the culture in northern Michigan, the environment from a hunting culture to a gun culture. And then she specifically asked the commissioners to make a public, some sort of public statement um, expressing their position on these issues. And in doing so, during this remote meeting in an informal um, solitude of his own home, the commissioner picked up, left the room, picked up um, a gun that he had momentarily, like a second or two, displayed it on the screen, and then set it down and kind of chuckled to himself in jest. Um, now, I'm not here to defend the Proud Boys, not a fan, um, but even taking plaintiff's position to the extreme that somehow that was, um, you know, seen as some support of the Proud Boys versus the Second Amendment or the, the county designation, the resolution that designated the county a sanctuary, he's entitled to an unpopular opinion, okay? So what we have here, what this boils down to with respect to our qualified immunity appeal, there are two issues. One is whether a constitutional violation occurred, and the second is whether the, the particular right at issue was clearly established in a particular I sense, such that... Can I say just one content, contextual point? I only, I've only watched the part of the meeting where this happens, so I've watched where she starts speaking, he appears, leaves, she finishes. Um, was, was there, I'm just trying to figure out why he did what he did. In other words, I, I get symbolic speech, so that's a sense in which I could understand it. But as, was there, earlier in the meeting, I'm just trying to remember this from the record, earlier in the meeting was there um, frustration that commissioners were saying to speakers, yes. we don't want you commenting on these things? Yes. So I'm trying to just make sure you're answering the question I have in my mind. The question I have in my mind is whether he was saying, okay, fine, I'm not talking anymore. You guys have told us not to talk and comment on your things, but this ain't talking, so clever me. I figured out a way to disagree with you without using my, my mouth. You got to it before I did, Your Honor, and that's, that's um, a point that I, um, it's an excellent point, and it is very important in the context of this because Prior to the plaintiff speaking, another member of the public, Kate Daltstrom, spoke. And she had some objections. She was calling the resolution ill-advised and a number of other things. She was opposed to it. And um, 
she was also talking about the Proud Boys and say, the group Proud Boys and saying that they're an extremist, extremist group, they're a hate group, and if, if you have any association with them, you know, I would like to know. I had sent an email before trying to figure that out. No one else responded. So after she concluded her remarks, the chairman um, spoke and said, you know, I object to, be, to being associated with, you know, a group that is considered a, a hate group or an extremist group. And he went on for a minute or so. And then another commissioner said to him, hey, is this really appropriate for public comment that you should be speaking? And so in that context, when the plaintiff is imploring the commissioners to make a public statement, it makes sense for the commissioner to not actually speak it, but to engage well, so in some So how do you deal with this, this point? I mean, you know, the retaliation is, I'm, I'm struggling with getting my head around the retaliation part of this, but there's a way in which it's a simpler case, arguably. I mean, and I know this isn't your fact pattern, but you know, government officials picking up AK-47s or whatever it was, um, even without pointing it, even virtually, could certainly be a signal to stop. In other words, it's just like pure speech suppression. It's not retaliation, it's suppression. So isn't there a risk that when someone does something like this, that that's, that's the real problem? We don't want um, government officials symbolically or directly saying, stop, I don't want you talking anymore at this meeting, even though this is a meeting where we're supposed to allow public comment. Well, that's isn't right. that a way in which... And I realized she kept talking, so her speech was not suppressed, which is, I suppose, why it probably is a retaliation claim. Well, but isn't this a real risk if someone does what he did? Well, Your Honor, that's why it's so important to consider the context here. And in our reply brief, we verbatim quote um, Kate Dahlstrom's comments as well as the plaintiff's. And there's a part in there that's highlighted even where um, he actually gets up and goes and retrieves the gun and then displays it momentarily. And it's in direct response to her request to well, make a public statement. Is the way you state the request. You argue that plaintiff had specifically requested that the commissioners publicly express their positions on the Second Amendment issues. But what in fact the complaint says was that she discussed the Proud Boys' links to political violence and asked the commission to, quote, please make some sort of public statement for the community that you do not accept the behaviors of violent groups. So she's asking about those behaviors. And in response to her request, what he does is he goes and picks up his gun and brings it and displays it to her. I know you say there's a jest, but I've looked at that video a lot of times, and um, the, the facial expressions do not seem to be saying to me it's a joke. It seems to me that it is a smirk about her request. And my concern is the discussion of violence that preceded his display of the gun why doesn't that absolutely show his display of the gun to be a threat? Isn't that what the complaint alleges? Well, that's what the complaint alleges, Your Honor, and normally we would have to um, accept those allegations as true if we didn't have video of the incident here. And I understand um, what you're saying in terms of how you interpret the video. but. But right before um, he goes and gets the gun, she's talking about not just the Proud Boys and their behaviors, but she starts talking about the gun culture in northern Michigan. 
She had just spoken about the resolution like two sentences before that. And I guess my point is, even taking it to the extreme that somehow this is perceived to be symbolic speeches, um, yeah, I support these guys. Um, it's unless, unless it um, demonstrates or indicates some sort of um, imminent threat, and that comes from the Baltimore case. There's the Baltimore Sun case out of the Fourth Circuit where they were interpreting our case in the circuit, Thaddeus X. And what they said is the governor there, her speech was protected, even if it was intimidating to the plaintiff, unless it intimated some sort of imminent threat, punishment, adverse regulatory action, or sanction. Well, we're talking about Sixth Circuit law. I'm, I'm looking at Zillage well, I, on the Sixth Circuit law. The court concluded that no reasonable official could possibly believe that it is constitutionally permissible to retaliate against a political opponent with physical threats, harassment, and vandalism. And it, I know we don't have the vandalism here, but the physical threat is alleged in this complaint. And we are bound by what is alleged in this complaint. Well, in Zillage, if I could, Your Honor, um, what, they, what was alleged in that case is that the defendants had threatened to break the plaintiff's legs. Um, and there was no other reason for them to say that other than to be retaliatory. In this case, that's why so it's so... Your, I'm, I'm just struggling with that analogy because is your argument that you can't have a retaliation claim stated in a complaint Unless, uh, for, for a threat unless you match that statement that we're going to break your legs? I don't think no. the law requires that. No, it doesn't require that, Your Honor. But as we have all seen over the last 25 years, the Supreme Court has gotten much more, it, their, their conversation about qualified immunity and what the particularized right needs to be has, has evolved over time. And they've held courts to a higher standard. They require a more probing inquiry of what the actual facts are in the case than just a generalized statement if you um, engage in retaliation, it's a violation of the First Amendment. I'm not saying we have to have a case that says we're breaking his legs, but this case is so different because the plaintiff in our case implored them to make, quote, some sort of public statement to the community on what the what their positions were in this case. His position about was unpopular. What their positions were about accepting the behaviors of violent groups. And then she And then he goes and gets a gun. Well she went on to talk about the gun culture in northern Michigan yes. and gun ownership rights before he displayed the, the weapon, before he displayed the gun. And, and granted, his opinion's unpopular. That's why he's not running again. I mean, the remedy is at the election box, and it worked, okay? But, it, but in terms of her asking, that's why our case is so different, and there is no clearly established case on point, where someone is imploring someone to make a public statement. There was conversation earlier. The chairman was reprimanded by another commissioner saying, we're not, we shouldn't be making comments during public, we shouldn't be speaking and making these remarks during public comment. So then they're limited to a symbolic gesture. Council, I'm going to interrupt you just because I see you're about to run out of time and I know we're trying to stay on track here. Doesn't your position with respect to what his symbolic speech is require us to make an inference in favor of your client rather than an inference in, in favor of the plaintiff, which we're required to do, uh, that, and, her, and the inference that she's drawing is that this was actually a threat, not that this was necessarily just some statement of support for um, 
this, this measure that passed regarding the Second, second Amendment? So great question. And that would be true with respect to just the elements of the claim, potentially, um, but not with respect to the second prong of qualified immunity that requires a similar case and a similar, um, it doesn't have to be exact, but it's got to be something that would put this defendant on notice that if he were to engage in this type of symbolic speech, he would know beyond debate, is what the court requires, that this would be prohibited in, viola in violation of the First Amendment. And in this context, there's just no case that they've provided that even comes close. In fact, the number of cases that they um, listed in their brief, Rudd and the collecting cases in, therein, didn't even raise qualified immunity, or if they did, it wasn't properly before the court. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honors. Mr. Ringsmith. Good morning. I'm Blake Ringsmith on behalf of the plaintiff, Patricia McIntosh. What, what is the threat? I mean, what, what is the threat that, um, I, I assume the threat of, you know, we talk about inferences from the complaint. The threat isn't that he's going to shoot her. I, I assume that's not it, but maybe it is. You tell, I'm just curious, what are the inferences we should draw about the adverse action that he's threatening well, because it, of her speech? Certainly, and is this court... Um, Future harm, be quiet. I don't so, want to so, hear that. No, no. Let's just. I don't. Let's do it carefully. Um, so one possibility is you, you think the complaint includes the possibility he's going to physically harm her with this gun. That's correct. Okay. And and as the court pointed out, there was no belief that he was going to shoot her through a zoom. <laughs> a zoom. Yeah, we didn't. No one asked whether the gun was loaded for a reason, right? It wouldn't, wouldn't make a difference, would it? Right. And 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 so uh, the court raises an excellent point. Uh, in, in the questioning, when you bring out a gun, when you're not at a gun rally, I think there is a very reasonable and logical inference that there is a threat in the air. Um, if you, and that is, if you keep this up, then who knows what's going to happen to you. And uh, with respect to whether the right to be free of the threat of physical so, harm. So the reason I'm asking is, I, I'm. I, I quite appreciate the point that a gun can be used to suppress speech. That, that, um, that makes sense to me, and um, that would be not a retaliation case. That would be speech suppression, right? I mean, whether a live meeting or a virtual meeting, you're stopping people from speaking without saying stop speaking, but doing it in this indirect way with a symbol seems quite problematic. But your case isn't a speech suppression case, right? I mean, she said all she wanted to say. That's just not the claim. So if the threat is physical harm, um, you keep talking, this is what's going to happen, you do have a plausibility issue here. I mean, I, that strikes me as, as, as on the table. Well, it, it may be um, if we were way down the road. This no, 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 no. Motion to dismiss implicates plausibility, right? right. If That's someone, Iqbal and Twombly. Your Honor, if, if the risk of being blunt, if you and I were in a heated uh, disagreement uh, of a very deep nature, and we left on bad terms, and then I sent you a picture of me holding a gun. Isn't that a threat? I believe that's a threat. I believe that's a reasonable inference that there is a threat in the air because you and I disagree. And the context of what is happening here is extremely important. This was a heated discussion between citizens and their elected officials where the... So to help me out, I mean, I've, I've seen this part of the video. Yeah. I thought it looked, <laughs> it, it, that was not obvious to me. I, I realized accounts of it say that there was 
some questioning of whether commissioners could be commenting on what citizens were saying. Is that where it gets really heated? Is that what you mean? No, before that, okay. uh, where the prior citizen uh, accuses the commission generally, and specifically defendant Klaus, appellant Klaus, and Commissioner Chair Henschel of supporting the Proud Boys and their violence, because this comes two weeks on the heels of the January 6th insurrection. And um, the, the chair accuses Ms. Dahlstrom, the citizen that spoke just before my client, of lying and telling her that her opinions were not welcome in public comment. And that is in the record. And, Your Honor, you said something uh, that I think is very telling. Uh, you said, I'm trying to figure out why he did what he did. Well, at this point, the inference, if you, if you were to say that based on looking at it, then the video does not utterly discredit uh, our allegations, which is what the Scott v. Harris says has to happen. Uh, Judge Stranch says she's looked at it and looked at his facial expressions, and it looks threatening. That is one reasonable inference. And then the trial judge, Judge Green, said the same thing. He looked at this many, many times, and he came away with the... So, so in motion to dismiss, we have cases that talk about, um, gee, if you're not sure, allow more fact discovery either before trial or more fact discovery before summary judgment, where it's a different standard of review, right? That would be a classic argument in a motion to dismiss setting. What's the additional discovery here that will illuminate the answers to these questions? Or do you think, well, I don't know. What is the additional discovery? Well, what I would say is I've not been able to depose anybody, but let's just say I deposed uh, defend the defendant in this case. And let's just say he, he admitted, um, yeah, I was very angry at her attacking the Proud Boys, who I have said publicly are great guys very respectful. And so it really made me angry. And I didn't want to hear that anymore. And so I went and got a gun because I thought that sent a message that she should stop talking about the Proud Boys, who I support. And context. Opposing isn't it all going to be assessed objectively? Well, objectively in the sense of what your eyes see. You think it could turn, you could, it could change either better for him or worse for him based on his motives? That's exactly what I believe the case law says is in with these allegations that are to be taken as true, it really turns on motive. That's what the Block v. Ryber case says. That's what Thaddeus X says. It's really about his motive. That's what the Rudd case uh, that lays out all of those cases. It really comes down to what his motive was. And when you say that you watched the video and you can't figure out what, why he did what he did, then the reasonable inference that goes to my client is that it was as the alleged as alleged, that he did it out of motivation. So it is important that I be able to ask him, what if I find an email that says, yeah, I, I told her to shut up by getting the gun because I didn't want to hear it. I mean, th that is motive, um, and that is what is the key so, to this so I, I, to I told her to shut up, right? So that, that to me is the most accurate assessment of what probably happened here and what lots and lots of discovery were reveal. So how is that retaliation case? That's, what, that's just been something I'm struggling with. Like it... You heard me say before, I quite appreciate how this kind of symbolic speech could be used to suppress, and that seems quite problematic, right? Like, that, that would be a very understandable form of First Amendment argumentation. But I'm, try, I'm just trying to figure out retaliation, because um, that, you have to have, quote, the adverse action, and it strikes me as here, the only adverse action is what we just witnessed, that it's quite implausible anything else is going to happen. Why, 
that I, I guess I just respectfully disagree. If, if I flash a gun at someone... So you're saying the adverse action is to be determined down the road? I think that's... Ex- and, and yes, I do. And also, it's a fact question, as the case law makes clear. The adverse action is not the uh, brandishing the gun. That is the adverse action that then, in turn, uh, chills her and would chill a personal of reasonable firmness from continuing to exercise the right. So for the next meeting. I'm just getting the theory. The theory is the next meeting? Yeah, and and in fact, what has happened is she didn't go to any more meetings because she was afraid. And if I may, Your Honor, uh, and it's alleged in the complaint, the community, over 1,500 signatures, were, were gathered to say this was intimidation and it, and it cannot stand. Uh, over 100 people spoke at the next county commission meeting saying the huge majority said absolutely that was intimidating, it was a violation of First Amendment, and it will not stand. And people were afraid to give their names on the record because of him flashing a gun at my client. And then the... So your argument is that... Um, is that the retaliation itself had the goal of what your complaint alleges to make her fear feel fearful, intimidated, and physically threatened. Right. And that those have legs is basically it. When you feel threatened, you are afraid of of further actions being taken. You allege that. Is that correct? I absolutely do. You allege that she um, had calls in the middle of the night? Yes, I do. That um, she felt like she was in danger? Is that correct? Yes, All of those? Absolutely. And, um, all right, and so that falls within a retaliatory response that results in harm. Agreed. And, and Judge Sutton, just to fill you in on, the, on what happened earlier, uh, and the context, which is fact-based, um, Mr. Klaus is very close ideologically and, I believe, socially with Mr. Henschel, the commission chair, who reamed out the prior speaker saying, I don't want to hear that. The allegations in the complaint are that Commissioner Klaus feels the same way. And so when my client got up to criticize the Proud Boys and their embracing of them, his response was, and this is, is the essential allegation is, didn't you hear what the chair just told that last person? We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. Here's a gun to show you how much we don't want to hear it. Now sit down and don't say it again, which is the retaliation, because then she doesn't appear again. And many people... She obviously didn't slow her down. I mean, I've seen the thing. It doesn't change her speech. It, it doesn't. She, she completed her sentence. She did. I do not have the actual time frames, but what I read of what she said afterwards was effectively completing the sentence that she was saying. Is right. that correct? It, it, it is, and it was written. I just, no, I just watched it, so it's more than a sentence, but I, I thought, tell me this, the more important thing is was she, the time allotted, was it shrunk? Did she use the normal time allotted or the time that was allotted? I thought the record showed that she did use the amount of time she, she was given. I believe given. she did. I, okay. well, at least All the right. chair said, your time's up. Is okay. it accurate to say that shortly after the rifle was displayed, her time expired? Yeah, I think shortly after. Maybe I, a I matter think that's of seconds. fair. I think that's I mean, fair. I watched, the, watched it several times. Right, and I can tell you a fact 
<laughs> that has not been developed yet is that she was reading a statement. She had prepared a written statement, so she wasn't just speaking extemporaneously. So she sees it, she finishes her statement, and then the whole thing washes over here that he just flashed a rifle at me. And so the context here, Judge, and the retaliation is he doesn't want to hear criticism. But is, it's for the future meetings. Yeah. That's, I'm just trying to figure out sure. what the retaliation is and what the adverse action is. That's, that's what's so complicated about the case for me. The, the adverse action is that he flashes a deadly weapon at her because he doesn't, as alleged, he doesn't like her speech and he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And so... It causes her not to speak at future meetings. That's exactly. your theory of the case, right? Uh, yes. And uh, him doing so chilled her exercise in the future. What's your best case? Just give me your best one. The, okay. the one so clearly established, U.S. Supreme Court, what's the best one? Uh, well, I have the Zillich case, which uh, Judge Strantz just read, that it, it stands to reason. Uh, here, I've got, a, I've got a Supreme Court case. Um, and it's in the, cited in Gert. Give me, give me your best U.S. Supreme Court and give me your best Sixth Circuit. Okay. I, I'm happy either way, but just... Okay. Uh, well, let me just, you know, most importantly, just to make sure you understand the question, you know, go to what it is that makes it like this case in terms of adverse action, right? That's the, that's the key. I, I think you would agree we're on the same page there, that that's the trickiest part of the case. Well, I think the case, I, I might I'm agree. Not saying, I'm not saying you, it doesn't mean you lose. I'm saying it's the case. You argue how you want to argue. I'm telling you what strikes me as difficult about the case. You deal with that how you wish. I, I will. I will just say for the record and, uh, that I have never had a gun flashed at me. But if I did, I can tell you it would change my whole demeanor and how I conducted myself with respect to the person who flashed a gun at me. And that is the adverse action. And that was what we allege was his intent to do. I don't want to hear you anymore. And I'm serious. And there is a threat of future harm if you continue this, and it's exhibited in my AR-15, which I display with a menacing smirk on my face. The case that I would cite to you is not a U.S. Supreme Court case directly, Your Honor, it's, but it is written by now Justice Gorsuch in the Van Dielen um, versus Johnson case out of the Tenth Circuit from okay, two... So I'll look at that one, but I, I, I specifically said U.S. Supreme Court or Sixth Circuit. Um, do you have a Sixth Circuit case? Well... I do, and it's the Zillage case that says. Right. What, what is it about that case that is, is that the breaking light? What's the threat there? What's the threat? The threat there is when um, the mayor says that he is that the uh, council person who's a quote thorn in his side should have his you know should have his legs broken, should be attacked, should be. Um, and Judge Strange read the quote. Um, and the debate in that case is whether the it's a true threat. Is that the is you know the legs? Is, I'm trying to figure out if. Because that would make it like this case, right? Because it's not clear if it's a true threat. Whether he's really saying, I actually am going to shoot you if you ever speak again in a meeting, or if it's hyperbolic, or exactly what it is. Is that the nature of the problem in that case? No, the nature, I believe the nature of the problem in Zillich was whether it was clearly established that the threat of physical harm, which the flashing of a weapon is, I would submit, um, is, and is a retaliatory action such... Okay, the standard, or what it, what it stands for, is that it is clearly established that a citizen exercising their First Amendment rights should not be subjected to the threat of physical harm in response to that statement. And um, th the other thing I would say is, 
in my last eight seconds, is that the Supreme Court is quoted in Girton says, there is no need for the very action in question to have previously been unlawful because the because the previous, uh, because the unconstitutionality of outrageous conduct obviously will be unconstitutional. That's the Supreme Court, and that's Safford versus um, Redding, 557 U.S. 364. And I would submit flashing an AR-15 at someone, as we have alleged, for speaking up and exercising their First Amendment is per se outrageous, and it sends a message of future harm of any number of things. It doesn't have to be to be shot. Thank you. Thank you. Stepanski. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, just briefly, um, it's, I think it's important to note that when Brother Counsel is making his arguments about Zillich, um, first of all, Zillich, what's the protected speech there? I'm going to break your legs. That's not really, that's not what we have here. We have a plaintiff who says, please make a public statement that you don't accept these behaviors that, that, um, we're turning northern Michigan into um, a gun culture versus a hunting culture, and then he displays for one or two seconds the gun and sets it down. It's, it's not the same as saying, this didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, she's asking him to make a statement, and that's what he does. He, he's engaging in his own protected speech, making a symbolic gesture. That's so different than Zillich. Zillich is not, um, does not presage uh, a constitutional violation in this context. Um, and this is this is not at, like a random display of a gun. Say, for example, we're at a board of commission meeting and we're talking about raising salaries for the commissioners, and some, the public is commenting and objecting to it, and he displays a gun. Okay, well that's seriously a threat, and I understand where the court would be coming from in that scenario. But in this case, she's saying, please, she's asking, please make a public statement about this. But here's my concern. Uh, you know, we, we've got the block case. Um, I, I understand that um, he was making his own statement, but doesn't our case law say that an act taken in retaliation of the exercise of a constitutionally protected right is actionable, even in cases where the act, when taken for a different reason, would have been proper? He has a right to have his opinion. He has a right to have his gun but he doesn't have a right to use that to retaliate against someone who is speaking in opposition to those beliefs. But it's not a situation where she was, they were off topic on something else and he raised the gun in retaliation. She's saying to him, we're talking about Second Amendment rights here. We're talking about the Proud Boys. We're talking about turning Northern Michigan into you know, a gun culture. Please make a statement. Please state what your position is. And he displays the gun. I'm in support of it. Whether it's popular, whether we like it, whether we don't, he's entitled to that. And in terms of clearly... Entitled, my struggle is he is entitled to have his opinion, but he is not entitled to use that opinion in a context that it is used as a response in retaliation that threatens the person trying to exercise their opinion. Exactly, Your Honor. And that's the allegation here. Yes. And aren't, isn't that the allegation in the complaint? It is, but in Thaddeus X, the, the circuit on an en banc decision said, we have to consider the context that the adverse action is taken. And then we can determine, even as a matter of law, whether it was um, 
constitutionally violative. And in this case, we have the second layer with the second prong of qualified immunity where the plaintiff has a burden to put forth a clearly established case that if not on all fours, it's got to be similar to the particularized facts that the, the plaintiff was facing here. This defendant ha would have to know in the situation he confronted, please make a statement, that what he was doing by making that statement was constitutionally violative. And I would submit that the plaintiff failed to carry their burden to submit that case law. Hey, thank you to both of you for your helpful briefs and arguments and for answering our questions, which we always appreciate. Uh, the case will be submitted.